Okay, good job, good job. I'm say on the whole, this half of the crowd, more talkative and inclusive. This half, don't really like each other. I get it, that's fine. Um, just do better next week. And uh, it's good to be with you guys. We are in uh, like week five, I believe, of going through the Gospel of John. And so I'm going to ask you if you have your Bible to please turn to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. We'll be about two-thirds the way through if you're not familiar with the Bible. If you have your phone and prefer to uh, read the scriptures on your phone, that's fine too. We'll count that. And so just turn to uh, the book of John. We're going to be wrapping up chapter one today as we get through this. Just a quick snapshot on where we've been. If you're not familiar with the book of John, John tells us that he wrote this gospel or really this, it's a, it's a, it's a biography of the life of Jesus. It's a documentary about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Christ, and he tells us at the end of his letter that the reason why he wrote it was so that all who might read it would believe that Jesus is the Christ. So that if you read this, and as we study this over this next year, that hopefully if you're a Christian, that your heart will be more inclined and your mind will be more inclined to trust, follow, believe in Jesus and everything he said, done, and is. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, faith is not part of your life at this point, but you're just visiting us, maybe someone promised lunch, something like that, whatever brings you here today, the same thing is true, that John writes this letter to you to say, would you so believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by Christ, we mean the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. And so he does this throughout the beginning of his gospel or his documentary, his book, is he lays out a framework for which we would understand the rest of the letter that he writes. And so he lays out these early witnesses to testify to the validity of this claim that Jesus is the Messiah of the world. And so if you've missed the first few sermons, I strongly encourage you to go back and to listen because John is intentionally building a case for us to trust in Christ more. And, and if that's not why we come to church, I don't know why we come here. We come here to trust in Jesus more. We, we come here that the Spirit of God might take His Word, might take community, might take the presence of His Spirit and say, I'm going to make you, you individual person, I will make you more like Jesus. And then He looks at the church as a whole here at Redemption and says, I will try and form you more into the image of Jesus. And He's doing this not just here in this parking lot, but across Across the entire world today as various people gather to worship his name. That God is in the business of a global project to redeem the world, and he's using texts like this to form us to be witnesses as well. And so that's the background for this. Um, the call today is about as practical as we can make it. And it is to follow Jesus. We're going to see Jesus interact with these initial men that he invites into becoming his followers and his disciples. And he's literally going to say, come and see, come and follow me. And in their invitation, we should sense and hear our own that this morning, regardless of where you're at in the spectrum of faith and commitment to Christ, that he's imploring all of us, come and see more of me. Come and follow me wherever I'm going. And let me be very clear on the front end. I'm going to try and convince you to follow him, but in the midst of it, I'm also trying to convince you to not follow other things. 
Because to follow someone means you don't follow someone else. You can't, the Bible says it like this. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. The Bible says that you cannot have these two gods. And it's Jesus is making the authoritative claim, I want you to follow only me. And so any deviation from the way of Christ is a following of either someone else or something else. I remember when I learned to snowboard, this by a way of me engaging with y'all, how many people ski, okay? Well, who's saying yes? Okay, we got the G's over here saying they ski, okay? How many Christians are there that snowboard? There we go. That was less. Okay, we're going to work on that. How many people could care less about either of those two things? Wow, that was actually, that was really unfortunate. Okay. So when I first learned to snowboard, I was 12 years old. I learned to ski when I was six. And so at six years old, my parents took, out, took me out skiing. It's easier to learn initially. You just do that pizza thing, which really makes it a fake sport. Um, but you can just kind of glide around and do nothing. Um, and then when you snowboard, though, it takes real talent and skill. And I think some angst, and you have to drink Mountain Dew, I think, early on. I think it's kind of part of it, too. And so I'm learning to snowboard at age 12. And I go with this instructor. Now, I already have in my mind, I know how to ski, so I thought, I know the mountain. I know how to get around and navigate. So my snowboard instructor says, hey, just follow what I'm doing. I think to myself, I got this, and so I head for the trees, right? I go through the trees, and I hit a tree, right? So first time learning, not at full speed. I'm okay. I'm still alive. A lot of bruises, but I was fine. So in this moment, right, he's saying, no, no, come and follow me this direction. I say, no, 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 I got this. And so I go a different direction, right? I'm literally not following the instructor. This is just obvious. Now, here's the part why I'm bringing this up. What the instructor did was not yell from a distance and say, hey, little guy who's stuck in the trees, come over here. But instead, he took off his snowboard, walked through the powder, and pulled me out of the tree until he walked me back to the path and said, this time, follow whatever I do. And I did. And now I'm the best snowboarder here. And I challenge any of you to try and beat me, okay? That's a real challenge. You can pay for the ticket even. You see, this is the story of the gospel, that when Jesus says, follow me, it's not just this, hey, hey, you guys over there, would you come follow me? It's God enfleshed in Christ. What we learned in the beginning of John is that who Jesus is, is God come down to earth. In other words, we were stuck in the woods. We could not get out of the powder because we just hit a proverbial sin tree and we couldn't get out of it. So then Jesus came, pulls us out of it and says, follow me. My way is better. And so this invitation this morning is that same invitation. And Christian, it's the same invitation to you every morning as you wake. Follow me today. And every hour of your life, follow me this hour. And so on and so forth. And so that's where we're going. Open your Bibles again. John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 35. <clears throat> he says this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist, not the author John, just to be clear, okay? John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, 
Behold the Lamb of God, in referencing Christ. And he says the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And so here's what we're going to get today. We're going to get four reasons why Jesus is the answer to the needs we have, so we must follow. Like it just, to not follow almost makes no sense. It's foolishness to try and not follow the one who would fulfill these four areas. And so this first one is that one, Jesus is the Savior that we need. Now, if you weren't here with us last week, Anthony did, honestly, a really great job breaking down, behold, the Lamb of God and what it means to be the Lamb of God. And so I don't want to spend too much time on it this morning because most of you heard it last week. If you didn't, please go back and listen to last week's sermon on our website. But when John the Baptist exclaims, behold, that Jesus, that guy that's walking by is the Lamb of God, what he's saying is that's the one that all of Jewish history has been waiting for. He is the one that all of what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, all of the prophecy, all of the waiting was all for this guy to come and save the world. The background is steeped in tradition where God would declare and desire a lamb to be sacrificed to atone or to pay for the sins of the world, or the sins of Israel, rather. And so now when he's claiming that this Jesus is God in the flesh who has come to be the sacrificial lamb, he's saying that this man... He too will be the one that will die for the sins, not just of Israel, but for the entire world. And so here, that first point then, Jesus is the Savior that we all need. Now, for some of us, okay, especially those here that uh, have not found faith or don't believe in Christ at this point. Maybe it is a question of need. Like, is this, is this truly a need? Like, do I, do I need to be saved from my sin? Do I need to be saved from the brokenness of this world? And it's just not always that apparent. I grew up the first 18, 19 years of my life completely oblivious to any of that. Some of you I know have stories of into your 40s and 50s and 60s. That's when you found the Lord. My mom gave her life to Christ three, four years ago. And so this understanding, I want to talk about for just a moment this morning, this deep need that we all have. The Bible says it like this. It says that there is none that is good and that all, all of humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. That all of humanity has sinned. In other words, all of humanity, every person you've ever known or seen, and yes, including yourself, has cheated, broken, stolen, done something that harmed another individual, including yourself. We went away from the principles that Christ or God had called us to. We chose ourselves over him. We chose our own glory over his. We chose our own ways over his. And we've hurt the people around us. We do it both externally in our actions and we do it internally in our hearts. Jesus himself would go on to say in the Sermon on the Mount that if you have thought certain things, if you have have anger in your heart towards your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. Has anyone ever been angry with another person ever? Driving, maybe. It says that if you have ever looked upon another person with lust in your eyes and in your heart, that you have already committed adultery in your heart. 
that Jesus is saying, listen, there is a way that this life is best lived. It's under my precepts and you guys have ignored them and rejected them. And when I say you guys, I'm speaking, hear me, very much including myself. And as a result, this world is not as it should be and that should not shock any of us. And so as John the Baptist, standing with these two disciples, exclaims, behold the Lamb of God, he's saying, fellas, look, the one who's come to fix everything. The one that's come to die for our sins, who's come to, well, at that point, there's still some, did they know he was going to raise? We're not going to get into that at the moment. But this is the one who has come to deliver us from Satan, sin, and evil. He is the Savior that we all need. Psalm 146.3 says this, put not your trust in princes, in humanity, in whom there is no salvation. So once we have the need down, like these things aren't right, what we can often do is chase after other saviors. In other words, this is all kind of broken and messed up. I see that now. I need help. And so we reach for the self-help section at our local library. We try and listen to a certain philosopher that's saying, okay, this, this type of thing is best. Or dare we actually reach for various idols that are part of our culture that say, this is what will mend and fix the heart that chases after things that are not Jesus. And so we chase after wealth, we chase after sex, we chase after thing after thing after thing that is not Christ to fulfill a whole that only he can. And so this first point, why follow Jesus because he's the only savior that we all need, period. And to choose to follow any other one is just foolish. It just, just, by, just by the definition, to continue to try and do the same thing over and over, expecting different results, is the definition for crazy. And yet we do it. And Jesus calls out and says, no, just follow me because I'm the only answer all the time, always. That's the first one. The second one, why follow Jesus? Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. The second reason, Jesus is the teacher we all need. He's not just the Savior, the one that will deliver us from our sin, but he's also the teacher for us, the one that will inform the way life is meant to be lived here and now. It's not just an attorney thing. Christianity often gets this idea that, man, we're just here to try and get people out of this world and into heaven, and so it doesn't necessarily matter what happens here, just as long as we get you to heaven. It's not that, it's both and. It's not either or, it's both and. God wants to deliver us from our sin, wants to promise a place for eternity for us in heaven, but wants to teach us now. He is the teacher that we all need. Now, what happens in the story? Jesus is walking along. They follow him. He looks back. He sees two guys are creeping along, and he says, hey, uh, what are you seeking? Which is a super like existential question, like so big. I'd be mean, like, what? Like, what do you want? He says, what are you seeking? And they have the funniest response. Eh, where are you staying? Right? 
Like, like imagine if, if, you were, if you were being followed by two random individuals leaving today, and then they came up behind you and said, hey, what do you need? And they said, hey, where are you staying? Creepy. What's happening here is these two young disciples recognize who Christ is, that he is a rabbi and he is a teacher, and they are trying to get invited into his home that they might be taught by him. Rabbis would have people into their homes that they would mentor and disciple and train them in their ways. And so this, this is an intentional kind of putting themselves out there by these two men to say, hey, can we come learn from you? And I love that. They said, okay, you're the lamb of God. Okay, you're the one that's come to save, but it has to go beyond that. And so, hey, how, how can we sit at your feet? Will you teach us? Because he is the teacher we all need. Now, again, like I said, we're, we need to dispel. It's not just follow Jesus. It's stop following these other things. And so we have to begin to ask ourselves, okay, who do we really want to teach us? Who gets to be the primary teacher in our lives? Because as we look out across the landscape right now, and maybe you don't feel this, maybe just our staff feels this, but we talk about it often. It feels often that many in the church, and I can be susceptible to the same thing, will replace Jesus as my teacher and insert some other person or some other ideology or some other ism that just seems to line up with how I'm feeling in that moment. Church, do we really want Jesus to truly teach us? Do we want him to inform every bit of how we live our lives? Or is he just another in the pantheon of teachers that we create to form some type of idea of what we want this world to be? Church, we, we are, hear me, and, and this, is, this, is a critique of, this is a critique of those not in the household of faith, but, but, but hear me with grace in it, because I'm trying to pull this out for the sake of critiquing the church. Church, we, we are very much supposed to be listening to only one voice. Now, that do, let me be very clear. That doesn't mean you don't have other voices that can then also speak into it, but everything must be filtered through that lens. The world has the opportunity to listen to whoever they want all the time. But for us who've said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, it means what he says goes. It means what he communicates we listen to. It means what he commands of us we do. Or... We fall into the way the world works and we just form our own thoughts based on whatever teacher we can pull up on YouTube that day. We have to understand that we live in an unprecedented time of information. Like, like, like literally, back in the day, in many ways, this job 
was really easy. And I'm sure actually all of your jobs. So we have, we have Chance Electric here. I guarantee you when there was just one electrician, okay, and he was doing it for the community and someone couldn't jump online and YouTube how to fix something that was broken in their house, life was a bit easier for Curtis. Now he's only like 30, so this is, we're going back farther than Curtis here, but but now you've got people like me that says, I don't need a professional, I'll just do this myself. And then Curtis has to come in and fix all of Vince's mistakes. The reason why none of the lights work in my house isn't because I hired an electrician that did a poor job, it's because I thought I could do it without him. We live in an unprecedented time of information. And so you can hear what's said from the pulpit at your church with your pastors, or you can go and listen and do your own study and all that. And then you can go off and then listen to literally 10,000 other pastors this afternoon. And you will find some that will say something different from what Anthony and I say. I guarantee it. So this is, hear me, this is not a claim to believe everything I say or believe everything he says. But it is a claim to try and implore us, church, to draw yourself always back to Christ. What does he actually teach? What does he actually say? Not what we hope he says not what my ideology says, that then I can find a verse that he kind of says it. Jesus must be, again, the primary teacher of the church. He must absolutely form everything we do, say, and act out. And so then in areas where you do hear something from here, that Jesus wouldn't say that, by all means, please come and tell us. Because I'm, I'm hoping it's, not, it's never intentional. I can almost guarantee that. But we're not perfect either. But hopefully what you hear here often is go to Jesus, go to Jesus, go to Jesus, be taught by Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, trust Jesus, read about Jesus, hear Jesus' words, etc., etc., etc. What you have here is these two men saying, okay, why should we follow this guy? Okay, yes, he is the Savior, but man, his words, his teaching, they bring life. They transform. They, they are the road that I should walk. Now, the beauty of the New Testament church where we're at today is we just don't get to go and visit Jesus' house the way these two did. We are Jesus' house. It's this is like phenomenal idea. It's not just that he lives over there. Hey, like after church, let's all go visit Christ. It's like, no, no, Christ dwells amongst and with and in his people. We don't have to destination anywhere. And so at all times, because of the presence of the spirit of Christ in our life, we now can consult him and learn from him and be taught by him 24-7, 365. Prayer, word, community. Don't trust, I don't say never trust. We just need to start setting aside some of the other voices we listen to. Because there's so much of it, just real practically. We don't know which way is up anymore. We get caught up in foolish controversies. We get caught up in these things 
because Christ isn't our teacher. Primarily. All right, number three. Move a little faster here. Verse 40 says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Point three, why follow Jesus? Because Jesus is the hope my friends and my family and our community needs. So this is not just this individual thing, y'all, okay? Christianity, yes, Jesus came to save us. Yes, Jesus comes to teach and form us, but it's not individual. It is for the community, and it has been that way since the beginning. When When God originally created humanity, he creates Adam and Eve, and he says, I will create you that you would go and cultivate the world and show them my ways doubles down with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and says that I will bless you to that I will bless you and make you a blessing to the world seeks to do that with Israel and now does that with the church this is communal and so what happens is these guys now they're spending time with Jesus and then Andrew thinks you know who needs to hear about this you know who would love this my brother Simon And Andrew kind of has this rap throughout the scriptures, which is really great. You study Andrew's life. He's always saying, hey, look what I found. Come and see this. And it's a great model for us. Come come and see what I found in Jesus. We found the Messiah. And I can only imagine how that conversation went for Peter and Andrew. Like, hey, hey man, like, guess guess what I found out on my walk today? I I found the Messiah. (laughs) Like, he's thinking like, like a Frisbee? No, I found the Messiah. Like I, I found, like I found God walking around. Come and see. And he invites him. And immediately Peter has this interaction with Jesus, and Jesus says, "Hey, Simon, I'm changing your name. Your name is Cephas, which means rock." Later on, he would go and tell Peter, "It is upon you. It is upon the rock that I will build my church." We are descendants and ancestors to that church, to that people, to those uh, initial disciples. You're in that family now, if you're his. Jesus is not just for us. He's not just for you. He's for every friend, every family member, every neighbor, every person at your school, your kid's school, every person that's at your job, that Jesus is for them too. He is the hope of every person in this entire world. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Who did that? You're going to get, yes, good for you. You're getting extra stuff in heaven, I'm sure of it. So congratulations. My son Finley, he's six. Okay, he's got a little brother named James who's three. A few weeks ago, Finn and I went for a hike down in Sandy Canyon. Wonderful little hike, real great for kids if you've ever done it. So we're down there and we're looking for fossils. Finley is obsessed with fossils right now. And he thinks everything is a fossil. And so he finds a rock. It's a fossil, Dad. And I'm like, okay. 
And the first thing he says, almost every time he finds one of these, he says, I cannot wait to show this to Jamesy. Ah, it's cute, I know. It's cute. I cannot wait to show this to brother. Or that, or he throws it. But it's, it's one of the two. I can't wait to show my brother. I found something so exciting, I cannot wait to tell my little brother. Like, we get stoked on this stuff, so I can't wait to show it to him. You know, you know, some, some of the, the obvious correlation to this is, are we excited about Jesus? Like, is, I mean, is, do we really believe he saves us from our sin here and forevermore that we would live with him for eternity? And he teaches and instructs us now in the life abundant and how to treat one another. That sounds like a decent thing to give away. And yet, do we that often? There's some of you out here, as I'm even just looking around, seeing faces. Some of y'all are like evangelists, like y'all just straight got the gift. I'm seeing my brother Micah over there. This dude will talk to anyone at any time. Just bring him around yourself as you walk through life, and all of a sudden, 17 people will get saved. That's the exact number every time, 17 people. But I just wonder if the reason why maybe, just maybe, we have 65,000 people in Flagstaff that don't know Jesus, and yet oftentimes what the church is doing is just swapping Christians. Are our eyes turned to say, this is so good, like, I have to tell you. It, It makes no sense for me if I truly believe it's as good as it says it is that I won't give this away. So the question has to come back to us. What are we not truly believing about Jesus that he both clearly says, and for most of us, we have clearly experienced? And so let's, let's give away Jesus. A quick little Bible moment for those of you Bible scholars out there, which is great. Uh, some of you might be thinking, hey, I've read Matthew, or I'm studying Matthew, and in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes to Peter and calls Peter in a completely different situation. It says that Jesus goes to Peter, and Peter is fishing, and then he says, come and follow me, okay? And the reason why I bring this story up, because I want you to understand, things like this are used to almost discredit the Bible. Oh, they're telling two different stories. They're just not. Rather, what we see here is the same invitation that we have for us. And so what happens is Jesus, in this instance, is John, is probably, or very clearly, the very first instance of Peter interacting with Christ. And so Jesus goes and says, hey, man, like, I'm going to rename you. I want you to, be, my, I want you to like, be mine. I want you to trust in me. But then he sends Peter away to just go work his job. Go fish, dude. Go do your thing. Go live your life. Be in vocation. Be a Christian. Follow me. And then in Matthew chapter 4, we see the next moment where Jesus approaches Peter. You even read Matthew chapter 4 again, and you realize it seems like they already know each other. Because Jesus walks up and just jumps in the dude's boat. Okay? Which, if you've ever done that, you're just weird. So he jumps in the boat, they fish, they have a great time, and then he says, come and follow and be my disciple, be one of the twelve. And so I bring that up just because that could be a common discrepancy in the scriptures that just isn't. And to realize that Jesus invites us in 
For some of you, that's going to mean it's going to look different at different parts of your life. So for you to follow Jesus doesn't mean one specific thing. It doesn't mean that you have to go into full-time ministry. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. It, doesn't mean, it, it just means you follow Jesus, that you love him, serve him, seek him, listen to him, and then as he moves, you move with him. And you learn that through the scriptures, through prayer, and through community. Okay? Last point. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see, again, this invitation in. Now, let me break down some of the story before I give you our last point. But Jesus goes to Galilee. This is the, reason, uh, the region where Jesus is from. That's where Nazareth is. And so as they begin to navigate, he finds Philip. He shares with Philip. Philip goes to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, check this out. I want you to know that Deuteronomy 18.15 is fulfilled where he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Jesus is now here. That prophet has been raised up, Nathaniel, and he's here in the same situation that Andrew had a weird conversation with Peter. I bet Philip did with Nathaniel. Hey, again, man, I went out for a walk and I found God. The Messiah is here. Come and see. And, and then Nathaniel's response, there's no way that's true. Why? Ah, he's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Okay, legitimately, when I lived in California, that's what I thought about Arizona. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to move to Arizona. And then I, I moved in, in, in May, like late May of 2009. And I, and I remember living there for that summer and thinking, nothing good comes out of Arizona. And then now that I live here, I realize it's more like nothing good comes out of Tucson. Oh, got you though. Okay, just kidding. Yuma. Um, can we all agree? Can we all agree? Come on. I'm just kidding. I'm just, some of you are like, well, I'm not going there anymore. It's going on at Christchurch. They love Yuma. Um, so his doubt with that the Messiah could actually be here was he didn't come from the right place. Do you know about Nazareth? And so he goes on, Okay. He goes on in this, uh, rather, let me skip over to Matthew chapter 2. I'm jumping over to another gospel, another documentary about Jesus. This is from another author. Matthew says this. Um, it says, he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. This is talking about Jesus. Now listen, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So what, what, what Matthew's telling us in this is that the prophets had communicated that the one who would come, the Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah, would come and he would be born of Nazareth. Nazareth. Now here's what's interesting. When you read the Old Testament, there is not an Old Testament prophecy that specifically mentions that the Messiah will come from Nazareth. And so you have to begin to ask the question, well, what is Matthew trying to communicate here? 
And I think it's two things. The first one, and there's a lot of what Anthony spoke about last week too, is that what it means for Jesus to be here means that everything's kind of upside down, that he changes everything around, that the way that we expected this to happen happens differently, that Jesus did not enter into this world in power, but rather in poverty. He didn't come in to try and lord that over, but rather come and be in the depths with us and say, I get it. Hebrews tell us that he lived the life with us where he literally was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. He flips everything upside down. And so even just that's a continual flow of the Old Testament to point to the Messiah that comes will not be one who comes in like Prince Ali in Aladdin. But he comes in as a peasant. And turns the world upside down with it. The second reason, and, and this is some beautiful linguistic depths that I mine from commentaries. So this is not me being smart. But it's fulfilling Isaiah 11.1, 1, Jeremiah 23.5. See, Nazareth means the town of the branch. And the scriptures say this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. That's saying kind of underneath it all, you see the prophets were pointing to this guy. And so here's why we bring all this up. Nathaniel initially, what good could come from that place? But in the midst of it, some of the scriptures begin to come into focus. Could it be? So let's see the rest of the story. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Point four, Jesus is the access to the God our world needs. Jesus is the access point to heaven and to God. And it is the God that this world needs. It's no false God. It's no other idol that's been propped up. It's no teacher that is false. It is the God of the universe that in common with all of humanity, we share the same story. Amen. Jesus is that access point. You see this transition with Nathaniel. What good could possibly come from that place? And then he sees Jesus. He has an encounter with Christ. You're the son of God, the king of Israel. There's no convincing argument. There's maybe actually, there's a slight supernatural moment where Jesus had kind of envisioned him under a fig tree where he just happened to be resting. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to do far more than that. Nathaniel, the good Jew that he was, was probably realizing that as Christ said the words, 
that what you're going to see is heaven opened up and the ascending and descending of angels upon the Son of Man, that he's referring to a very, very, very famous story of the Jewish people. And it comes in Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 19. Let me read briefly. Hang with me five more minutes, y'all. This is Jacob, okay? One of the forefathers of the Jewish people. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up, to, set up on the earth, and on the top it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took up the stone he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz, which means light at first in Spanish, not actually in Hebrew, but just thought that was fun. Some of you are catching up. They're like, wait, they didn't speak Spanish back then? Not there. Okay. Do you see what's going on in Nathaniel's mind? Like, you just kind of imagine his mind is just being blown more and more. Knowing very, like, very well the story of Jacob's ladder where Jacob has this dream. And in this dream, he sees a ladder that extends to heaven and realizes it is in that place at Bethel, the house of God, in that place both heaven and earth meet, God and man meet and dwell together. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, I am now that gate. I am now the access point to the world. Nathaniel, don't you see? I am the Messiah that saves you here and hereafter. I am the one that teaches you and shapes you. I'm the one that invites in the community that they might know this good stuff. And I'm the place where God and man meet forever. Why follow Jesus, church, community? I'm like yelling, I'm getting real loud. That house right there, we're getting everyone saved right over there. They're just going to hear it, and they're going to fall on their knees, and they're not going to know what happened. In Christ, y'all, you and I encounter God. We are in the presence of God. We stand with him. We walk with him. We live with him because of what Christ has done. Because 2,000 years ago, God came into the flesh and the man, Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect life you and I could never live. He died a death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin. He absolved that on the cross of Christ at Calvary but then did not stay in the ground. But three days later, we are told the tomb was opened and he walked out granting new life. So the application is this, okay? Go and see Jesus. And again, you don't have to go far because he's with you. Nathaniel, Simon, the rest who will be called, they could have very easily just said, just tell me about them from here. Just give me some details. 
Church, go and encounter Jesus. Go and encounter God through him. Realize that we are the house of God, that he dwells with his people now. Follow Jesus in everything, which means, again, rejecting the other things that would claim your ears and claim your mind and choose him. And then invite others to come and do the same. This isn't a plug for this to grow, okay? It's a plug for the kingdom of God to grow. It's a plug for the 65,000 people in Flagstaff who need a better hope than the one that the world offers. Come and see my Jesus. Come and see what he's done. It is a painful, broken world that we live in. I get it. But I think we are hard-pressed in the church to complain about the brokenness and pain and, and, and just division of the world if we keep Jesus to ourselves. If we have the answer and don't provide the answer, then don't complain when things are broken. Church, we have Christ And so let's go and bring some people to come and see him. But please, 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 please start with the fact that you are loved, you are seen, you are indwelt with the presence of God, that he accomplished everything possible to free us, equip us, save us, and deliver us, that we might be justified in him alone. Whether you leave here and invite people to hear about him or not, listen, you are secure in Christ. Because you are secure in the gospel, because of what he's done, it just makes sense for that to overflow to the people around us. So let's commit in prayer right now to follow Christ with everything we have. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you that you came and died. That only because of you. If you haven't done what you've done, (laughs) there's nothing to share. It's reminded my own story, God, that no business, no business following you. I'm so grateful for the invitation. I'm grateful that you invite me and you invite everyone here to follow you every day, to experience the goodness of your presence in our lives, that we can meet with you every day of our lives. And what a great gift to give away. So Lord, I pray that you would grant us bigger eyes to see, clearer eyes to see you. Faith And the fruit of the Spirit, God, to walk in kindness and love to all around us. That the world would come and see that the Messiah has come, has died, and has risen. And then that reigns as king over this world. Lord, we love you. Please do a phenomenal work as we respond in Christ's name. Amen.